This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Due to some language in this episode, listener discretion is advised. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 433, submission number 862, The Colbys, aka Dynasty 2, The Colbys. Wait, so they had the balls to say, this is Dynasty 2. This is the sequel to Dynasty. It's not just a spinoff. It's a straight-up sequel. The cheek, the nerve, the gall, and the gumption. The Colbys aired on ABC from November 20th, 1985 to March 26, 1987 for 49 episodes over two seasons. And those two seasons ran for three crack blocks Plus one. And we know what a crack block is. It's how many episodes of the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show aired. And J.D. Starbuck. And school. Oh, and Uncle Crack's Block. Theme music. Take it away, Bill. You may want to take a little bathroom break. This is going to take a while.
fucking hours later. Not as good as the Dynasty theme. Yeah, but, you know, it has all the Bill Conti earmarks there. All right, before we get into it, I just have to say that this is a birthday present, one of many, to unspoken friend of the podcast, my lovely sister Kiesla. And this is being released on a Monday, so. So this is an early birthday present. Yes, it is. Happy 29th birthday, Kiesla. Hold on. Chico, you're going to get her birthday cake at Carvel. I wish I could, but there is not a Carvel in town. The closest I can do is Publix. Oh, well, if there was, I'd say, please visit him. Thank you. This is my gift to her because I have not gone to her Amazon wish list yet. <laughs> later, later, Kisla, later. We're... Okay, so she's going to step in for me and give you most of the plot points while I give you sort of the background as to how this came to be, who thought this was a good idea, and ultimately what happened. I want to know who at ABC thought this is such a success dynasty. I got a great idea. What if we had a sequel to a television show, not just a spinoff, a straight up sequel. It was a sequel, not just a spinoff, a straight up sequel. Yes, it was billed as a spinoff. And again, dynasty in 1984-85, the number one show in all of television. In an age of opulent soap operas, this was the most popular opulent soap opera. You're talking about Falcon Crest, forget about it. Dallas, no way. Knott's Landing. What? No. Everybody was watching Dynasty. I was watching it. All my friends were watching it. You know what everyone wanted to watch? They wanted to see Joan Collins and Linda Evans get into cat fights. They wanted to see it. And which would happen at least once every two weeks. <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> this is already a great episode. I don't know what Kiesel's saying in the background. <laughs> All my friends were watching it. That was the thing to talk about the next day in school. She's saying how everybody was watching, was uh, buying Soap Opera Digest just to catch up on what was going on on the primetime stuff. That's right, because you had no Hulu. You couldn't keep up with it. So, we have the most popular show in all of television, the number one show in all of television. Somebody at ABC goes to Aaron Spelling and Esther Shapiro and says, we need a spinoff. So, they take an already existing storyline in Dynasty, and they build off of it. And I've got a page open here from that 401ksite.com, which actually went into it. You know that Dynasty premiered in 1981. It was considered the Dallas knockoff because Dallas was already established by that time. And, you know, who shot JR? The classic storyline in all of television. But in the 1984-1985 season, Dynasty finally ever took Dallas to become the number one show in all of television. So, ABC decided, you know what we need? A sequel. Something to expand and enhance on the story set in Dynasty. 
The idea was to take the characters of Jeff and Fallon Colby and send them to California where Jeff could work with his uncle, Jason Colby, who is the head of Colby Enterprises. Here's the thing, though. Fallon on Dynasty is played by a lovely actress by the name of Pamela Sue Martin. She had already left the show, so she was missing and presumed dead on Dynasty. Fallon Colby would reappear on the premiere of The Colbys as Emma Sams, who, A, does not look anything like Pamela Sue Martin, and B, is quite British. Now, you would listen to her, and it would be either British or very high American, but they definitely do not sound the same. But that's okay, because we can explain this away. She has amnesia, guys. What? She has amnesia. She is in the desert in full makeup and dress, it looks like. And she's married to a character named Miles Colby. Not realizing that he's actually the cousin of her ex-husband, Jeff Colby. Of course, Jeff Colby, who would also be in this series, is played by John James, who is from the original series. A mutual business venture brings the Colbys of California to the Denver mansion of Fallon's father, Blake Carrington, played by the inimitable John Forsythe. So, instead of Denver, we have the Colbys taking place where all rich people problem shows take place. California. California. Los Angeles, to be exact. California, the place where you ought to be. California knows how to party. While Dynasty would focus on the Carrington side of the equation, the Colbys would focus on the Colby side of the equation, where Jeff relocates, starts his life anew, comes face-to-face with Fallon, finds out about the family way, and meets the rest of the Colbys. Miles's father, billionaire Jason Colby, played by legendary name Charlton Heston, Ben-Hur, and his wife, the manipulative Sabella Sable Colby, played by Stephanie Beecham. Now, hold on. I have a question. Yes. Was there ever a run-in on the Colbys from some damn dirty apes? No. (laughs) Oh, well, then I don't care. There were no damn dirty apes, but... There was something even better. Oh, okay. Movie stars. Not yet. (laughs) Okay, so we talked about Charlton Heston and Sable, played by Stephanie Beecham. She, of course, would feature later in uh, future entry Sister Kate. And then there's Sable's sister Francesca, played by Catherine Ross, who is, again, you're hearing a lot of legendary names on this episode. Oh, Keith, get up here, Keith. Yeah, Keith, we, we want to hear from you. How the France does Sable have a British accent, but Francesca doesn't, and they're supposed to be sisters? Somebody? Anybody? You got me. Oh, Beverly Hillbillies. No, seriously. 
swim pools, movie stars. Oh, really? Anybody got an answer? Oh, and by the way, he was a tiny little thing that people often miss slash forget. Um, the Scott sisters, Sable and Francesca, are cousins to Alexis Carrington Colby. Now, Kiesel, I do like how you gave a little okay. tribute to Don LaPrey there with a tiny little thing. Swimming pools, movie stars. <laughs> Okay, so we have all of these legendary actors here. Uh, talking about, we're not even scratching the surface here with all of these legendary names here. Charlton Heston, Catherine Ross, Stephanie Beecham, Jason's sister Constance Colby, played by the legendary Miss Barbara Stanwyck. Barbara Stanwyck. And then we have the former wife of Jason's deceased brother, Philip, uh, Francesca, we talked about that already. Miles's twin sister, Monica, played by Tracy Scoggins, of course, of the Lois and Clark and the Babylon 5. And their third sibling, Bliss, played by Claire Yarlett. Oh, yeah, now I remember. Uh, known more for this show and less for future entry, Robin's Hoods. What the hell is Robin's Hoods? It's like VIP with a bar, I'm guessing. Never knew that she did anything else. Except for the Colbys. She did something else. We also have guest appearances by uh, Adam Carrington, Gordon Thompson, Stephen Carrington, Jack H.R.G. Coleman, and Dominique Devereaux, Diane Carroll. But we have some more legendary names I want to bring up here. I was just getting to that. Joseph Campanella. Hold on. Wait, did she say Roy Campanella? No, she said Joseph Campanella. Oh, it would have been something if Roy Campanella. No, that would be a completely different. That would be a completely different situation. Well, yeah, in more ways than one, knowing Roy Campanella at this time. (laughs) We're, We're laughing at Roy Campanella. Who the France is Roy Campanella? What? Hold on. Okay, Keep... I'm I'm done. I'm leaving. Goodbye. <laughs> no, no. Who's Roy Campanella? Get the hell out of here. Kiesel's not a sports person, guys. I don't care. He's Americana. <laughs> okay. So, uh, okay. More legendary names here. Joseph Campanella. Talked about that one. Playing a guy by the name of Garrett Boyston, Ken Howard. Oh, yeah, I remember him. He was the lawyer. He was the lawyer, yes. And the White Shadow. And he was in love with Dominique Devereaux, and he was the father of Dominique's daughter. What? (laughs) Okay. He He and Dominique Devereaux had a child together. Yeah, I remember now. Okay, so there, so there's him. White Shadow. White Shadow. <laughs> White Shadow had a baby. Now, hold on. Good night, everybody. She, hold on. Kiesel doesn't know about Roy Campanella, but she knows about the White Shadow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then perhaps the most legendary name of them all, playing the role of Zach Powers. Yeah, man. Mr. Roy himself. My friend, welcome to Fantasy Island. Ricardo Montalban. Ricardo Montalban. My friend, welcome to Fantasy Island. 
Obviously, obviously, ABC got the word down on high. We want you to make this extra. We want you to take the opulence of Dynasty and go absolutely crazy with it. The thing is, with so many high-powered Hollywood Hollywoodites, how did the show fail so miserably? That's what we're here to talk about. How did the show, I mean, it really flopped. We're going to talk about that, but first... You remember all of the bullet points, so you're going to sit in this chair. What? No. You're going to sit in this chair. In the big chair. You're going to sit in the big chair and deliver all of the big plot points. You're going to wear. You're going to wear these headphones. You're going to sit in the chair. Wait, do I have to read the descriptions of all the episodes first, or? Um, there. I'm going to read the Google descriptions because okay. they are incredibly short, and there are 48 of them. Oh, good. Because we'd be here like five hours. We're going to be here for a while. But, Keith, if you want to talk about the main plot point here, you take these, and you can you can speak into this. Okay, what do I say? Oh, this is all staying in, by the way. What? Never mind. Okay. Hold on. Let me shimmy forward. <laughs> shimmy forward? Shimmy, shimmy. Shimmy forward here. Shimmy, shimmy, shimmy. Shimmy, shimmy, shimmy. So what 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 are we doing? Uh, just the main series plot points of the two seasons of the Colbys. Okay, so thing we were talking about in the car. Okay, so uh, so this is what happened. Um, Fallon loses her mind in Denver, and somehow she shows up in California with perfect hair and perfect clothes. And uh, her name is, uh, she goes, she, she's like, got amnesia. And she gives herself the name Randall Adams. What kind of crappy ass name is that? I think it's cute. I like it. I mean, right. it's, ve- it's very gender neutral. I mean, it's very now. It sounds like she was watching a football game. And she heard the names Randall Cobb and Jamal Adams. That's basically what happened. I don't remember the details of how she came up with that name, but it was something like that. She saw something. She saw something, and it sounded good, and she needed a name. So you know, yeah, I might might as well combine the names of these two shitty football players. Bada bing, bada bam, bada boom. Got a name. Okay, so somehow she um hooks up with um. Uh, Miles Colby, and they kind of get have a little thing, da 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 da, da and they fall in love, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then, just when things are starting to get good, Jeff Colby shows up, and he's like, "Oh my God!" He calls his father-in-law, Blake Carrington, in Denver. Oh my God! You'll never guess who I just found. Who? I just found Fallon. She's right here in this house, but she's calling herself Randall Adams. What do we do? And uh, uh, eventually they go kind of around and around and around. And eventually he spills the beans and tells her, you're not Randall Adams. You're Fallon Carrington Colby. You're my wife. Actually, you're kind of sort of my wife because you ditched me on our wedding night. Uh, You ditched me just as we were about to get married. But that would have been our second wedding. So you're kind of my wife, but kind of not. So wait, were they renewing their vows? Uh, they had got, you know, they had gotten divorced and okay. then they had gotten, then they were planning to get married again. But Fallon was kind of losing her mind at the time. So she 
um, did a runaway bride. Oh, Next thing you know, she turns up in California. Perfect hair and perfect clothes. Well, at least she looked more prettier than that runaway bride from the 2000s. Remember that? Oh, runaway I'm br- saying Pamela Sue Martin was so ugly. I mean, really ugly. I mean, really hideous. Emma Sam's was so much prettier. Had better. Hey, Google hair. Emma Sam's right here. Hold on Emma a minute. Sam's was a lot prettier than Pamela Sue Martin. Pamela Sue Martin was oh, ugly. My- like oh. really ugly. Oh my god. Oh, she's sorry, 63. not sorry. She is 63 now. Oh, she looks good for 63. Yeah, whatever. I think at some point, if I remember correctly, Miles sort of kind of rapes his wife. And at the same time, not so soon after that, she divorces him and marries Jeff. And guess what? Of course, what happens in every soap opera? She pops up pregnant, doesn't know who the father is. Because she had, because she had, you know, relations with both fathers. Well, it turns out that it, of course, it turned out to be Jeff's baby. And as a as a rebound, uh, Miles hooks up with this girl named Channing, who claims to not be able to have children. And I don't quite remember. So I mean, something, 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 something. And then she turns up pregnant. Oh, everybody's turning up pregnant on this show. Everybody's very fertile on this show. They are some fertile myrtles. Speaking of fertile myrtle, um, turns out Tracy Scoggins, Monica Colby, had an affair when she was a young thing, a sweet young thing. She had an affair with this up-and-coming politician named Cash Cassidy. Wait, hold on a second. His name was Cash Cassidy. Of course, a soap opera name. It's perfect soap opera name. It's better, st- it's better than Randall Adams. What a stupid fucking name that <laughs> is, Cash Cassidy. That sounds like the name of some like public access game show host, or you know, some um adult film star or something. Cash oh, yeah. Cassidy. Oh, that's right, Cash Cassidy. <laughs> Fuck of the generation, starring Cash Cassidy. Why am I the only one doing it? Why am I the only one doing the talking? Anybody else want to chime in here? No, no, we're enjoying you talking. I'm just going to shut up this episode, sit back, relax, get a beverage. You're doing fine. (laughs) Why am I the only one doing the talking? We haven't even gotten to season two yet. Because apparently Jason divorces Sable. Jason divorces Sable. Plans to marry Francesca. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, let's talk about Let's go back to uh, Jason, Sable, Francesca, and Jeff. Let's leave Fallon for a minute. So Philip is sterile. Philip can't father children. Oh, that's terrible. That and be- there's a, um, there's a, I guess, a codicil in uh Uncle Cecil's will that says only uh, that this money can only be given to another Colby and Francesca's married to Philip. Philip can't have kids, but up Francesca does the Virgin Mary and out pops a baby. So wait, hold on a second. Does this mean this kid is now the reincarnation of Jesus? Yes, he is the reincarnation of Jesus. Oh, that's amazing. Turns out Francesca had an affair with Jason. Oh my God. And that son Jeff of a bitch. Is Jason's illegitimate son. Oh no. Uh-oh. 
So you can imagine that Sable at this point is really pissed. Oh, that's a bitch, Jason. Like really, really pissed. Jason gets around. So let me think. Um, and then there's Bliss falling in love with a I, dancer. Oh, yeah. Bliss falls in love, you know, because we can't have all of the other Colbys doing shit and Bliss is just doing nothing. Bliss falls in love with a Russian ballet dancer. Uh, wait, a Russian ballet dancer? And he 19- wants to defect to America. Oh, that. Oh, well, you know what? In those days. You know, it's the 80s. It's yeah. like it's ripped straight from the headlines. Ripped straight from the headlines. Now, all this just makes for really bad TV. And I was somebody who gave them every benefit of the doubt. I watched it all the way through the end of season one. So you did not see the end of season two? No. You do not know about the UFO? I did know about the UFO, but I was only watching it casually. And by the and by the way, Fallon said that she was kidnapped by aliens and she could smell cinnamon in the um flying saucer now hold on a second do you think the aliens on the flying saucer were eating like cinnamon toast crunch i was thinking more like um what is that uh uh that they sell at the uh amusement parks churros maybe churros churros i'm thinking churros maybe no, it's think- cinnabon 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 Oh, yeah, they do sell that at Carowinds, don't they? Cinnabon or Churros. Those Churros were good, weren't they? Now, hold on. Maybe they went to Auntie Anne's and got a cinnamon pretzel. Oh, that's yummy. I I don't like pretzels. Not at all. What? I don't like pretzels. I mean, I'll eat them, but I don't really enjoy them. I mean, like on airlines when they give you pretzels, I'll eat them. But what about big-ass pretzels? You know, the soft pretzels. Don't care for those. What about if you had a pretzel with mustard? No, that's disgusting. No, it's not. It's great. You put some like spicy that's mustard on it. The series no. in a nutshell. So that's wait, basically the series in a nutshell. Wait, Greg. Okay, so now, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. There's something I gotta ask, Greg. Pretzel with mustard, and you said spicy mustard. Yeah. Burtman's. The yes. Cleveland. Oh, that's just just a thing of beauty. I love it. You don't know the magic of Burtman's mustard, Kiesla. I'm going to hand the um, earphones back to Chico, okay? <laughs> she's given up on us. After Burton's mustard, she's like, I tap out. I love pretzels. I love pretzels. Well, at least somebody in the Alexander household does. You know what her reaction was to the pretzels, Chico? I heard. Oh, good for you. Oh, jeez. All right, a lot of episodes to go over, and I'm only going to give the one-line descriptor that IMDb gives, because if we were to go over all of the episodes in detail, we would be here for a long, long time. So let's talk about Talk about season one first, the celebration. The Colbys return to Bel Air from Denver, Colorado, where Jason's first order of business is a press conference to address the venture between Colby Enterprises and Denver Carrington. Constance had given her shares of the company to Cousin Jeff because she's the only one who knows that Jason is dying. Dun, dun, dun. Episode two, Conspiracy of Silence. 
Jeff identifies Miles' new bride, Randall, as Fallon Carrington, his ex-wife, believed dead and now suffering from amnesia. He's far less interested in the return of his estranged mother, Francesca. Of course, we have appearances by John Forsyth in this episode. Understandable. Episode 3, Moment of Truth. It's Thanksgiving, and Sable makes a shocking announcement to the family. Later, Randall begins to feel more comfortable with the family, and Francesca and Jason become closer. Episode 4, The Family Album. Blake Carrington and Dominique Devereaux visit L.A. to discuss separate business ventures at Colby Enterprises. Jeff asks Blake to bring along his little boy, L.B., in an attempt to jog Balan's memory. LB played by Ashley Mutrix. This is as far as their career ever went. Probably. Episode 5 Shadow of the Past. Having discovered her true name, Fallon flees the Colby estate and it seeks help from Dr. Paris. Adams Carrington visits LA to meet with Zach Powers, then demands to see his sister. Jeff finally bonds with Frankie when she almost gets thrown off a horse. Horse! Thank you. Mar- <laughs> Monica leaves Colby Enterprises to work at Dominique's Titania Records. Episode 6. A House Divided. Fallon has accused her brother Adam of essay, but further treatment by Dr. Paris reveals the truth. Sable finds a new way to discredit Connie when she learns about the latter's secret affair with Hutch Corrigan. There's a soap opera name. But her meddling drives a wedge between herself and Jason. Of course, Hutch Corrigan, played by Joseph Campanella. Not the baseball player, Roy Campanella. Episode 7, The Reunion. Blake, Fallon, and Little Blake are reunited. Hutch breaks off his relationship with Constance after learning about her wealth from Monica. Miles offers Fallon an annulment and catches his father confessing his love for Francesca. Episode 8. Fallen Idol. Frankie decides to return to London. Monica catches the act of blind R&B singer and wants to give him a record contract. Sable's desperate to save her marriage to Jason, but still refuses to drop her suit against Connie. Doesn't say who the blind R&B singer is, though. So, cannot credit her or him. Episode 9. Jason's visit to London. It's called The Letter, by the way. Jason's visit to London and Sable's trip to New York are equally fruitless. Adam Carrington has found evidence in the late Cecil Colby's files that help Constance's case against Sable and uncovers a disturbing secret for Jeff. Episode 10. The turning point. Connie recuperates after being accidentally hit by her sister-in-law's car. Sable refuses the Matisse painting Zach Powers claims he purchased for her. Miles spills the beans about Jason and Francesca to his mother. Monica and Neil Kittridge finally manage to see eye to eye in business as well as pleasure. Neil Kittridge, played by Philip Brown, known mostly for Search for Tomorrow and the Doris Day Show. And also not landing. Episode 11, Thursday's Child. Sable learns that if Jeff is not a true Colby, Connie's inheritance cannot go to him. Bliss learns that Sean was spying for his uncle Zach. Miles loses control after presenting Fallon with their marriage annulment. Episode 12, 
Oh, that son of a bitch. And playing Sylvia Hayward, legendary name, June Lockhart. Oh, yes. She went from a little Timmy's caretaker to Lost in Space. Episode 12, The Pact. Fallon and Miles sign for annulment. Sable agrees not to use the letter in court as long as Jason doesn't divorce her. Dominique introduces Wayne Masterson at her club. LB is taken to a hospital suffering from meningitis. Wayne Masterson, I'm guessing, is the uh, blind R&B singer played by Gary Morris, who's known for a role in Les Mis as Jean Valjean in the mid to late 80s. Episode 13, Fallon's Choice. LB pulls through his meningitis and Fallon chooses Jeff instead of Miles, but Miles no longer wants to annul the marriage. Sable urges Miles to use Philip's letter to take revenge on Jeff, and Connie decides to return to Colby Enterprises instead of leaving with Hutch. Episode 14, The Trial. Miles cannot be persuaded from taking Jeff to court. Francesca, now Lady Langdon, returns to L.A. and is asked to testify. Monica fires Neil after finding out he lied to her both personally and in business. She's called Lady Langdon because she married Roger Langdon, who is played by David Hedison, who is known as Felix Leiter in License to Kill and Live and Let Die. And we talked about him in some previous episodes. Hold on a second. Upper Deck put out like a set of like double of seven cards like a couple years ago. He has a signed card in one of those sets. David Hedison has yes. a signed card? Yes. Oh, nice. I need to get that. I need to see how much that goes for. Not the first person to play with Felix Leiter, by the way. That would be uh, Jack Lord and Dr. No. I learned that watching Hey Dude, by the way. Wait. I never thought we'd get an excuse to talk about Hey Dude on this podcast. But you know what? Considering next year we're going to do 15, I'm going to bring up Welcome Freshman. I might as well mention what context was there. Oh, wait a minute. Was that the trivia episode of uh, Hey Dude? Yes. Yes, it was. Oh, great. It was the one where Jake was auditioning to be on a game show. Which tapes in Arizona. I mean, I can't remember a game show that ever taped in Arizona. And I've lived there for three years. And wasn't Mr. Ern's son, like, starstruck by the model on the show? Yes. <laughs> that he literally... He, he, uh, he went into early puberty that episode. <laughs> episode 15. Burden of proof. Jason declares that Jeff is his son during the trial. Sable tells Jason she'll never forgive him and decides Zach Powers may not be so bad after all. Yeah, Miles confronts his half-brother Jeff at the Colby family retreat. Yep, totally remember that. Episode 16, My Father's House. Jeff wants to remarry in Denver, but Fallon insists on L.A. Instead, Sable sets her mind on obtaining the Colby house in the divorce settlement. Miles is shocked to find his mother has spent the night at Zach Powers' house. <laughs> Playing Harold Jessup. Future. It was a thing on TV Hall of Famer William Bogert. Oh, that's terrific. William Bogert. Episode 17, The Outcast. 
Although she hates the fact that Jeff and Fallon's wedding will take place at the Colby house, Sable still agrees to be the wedding planner. Dominique wants Monica to rehire Neil, and Connie gets proof from her private eye that Sable is seeing Zach Powers. Zach Powers, that son of a bitch. Zach Powers is trash! <laughs> Episode 18, The Wedding. Blake and Stephen Carrington arrive a day before the wedding to meet with Zach Powers. Miles is once more asked to answer questions about the death of William Mahoney. Despite everything, he insists on witnessing Jeff and Fallon's second wedding. Aww. And playing Spiro Corrales in this episode, another future it was a thing Hall of Famer, Ray Wise. Oh, that's right. Ray Wise. Because, of course, can't mention how great he was as Leland Palmer on Twin Peaks. But, you know, he's done a whole lot of things. He was the second Robin Trubatsky Sr., that's right, he was. You know who the first was? Yeah, I do know who the first guy was. Eric Braden. That's right. No way! He was Victor the Newman? Yeah, Victor Newman was Robin Shrabotsky's first father. Oh. Or the first person to play Robin Shrabotsky's father on How I Met Your Mother. And it was a great scene, too. And it was, it was, it was a great scene. It became harder and harder for him to pretend I was a boy. The lowest moment came when I turned 14. My peewee hockey team had just won the Squamish Invitational and everyone came back to my house to celebrate. You lads availed yourselves splendidly out there on the ice. Splendidly. You go on outside, I come back with an assortment of soft drinks and American pretzels. I can't believe you missed that last empty netter, you hoser. You're the hoser. No, you're the hoser. Your teammates, hockey players. Teammates don't kiss. Hockey players don't kiss. Oh my God. I have no son. <laughs> Episode 19 The Honeymoon. Miles has been arrested on suspicion of murder. Bliss and Sean have gone off to marry in secret. Frankie and Lord Langdon separate, and Connie invites Frankie back to the Colby house. Playing the fortune teller in this episode, Mabel King from What's Happening, y'all. Oh my god, this is terrific. Mabel King from What's Happening playing a fortune teller. This is like one of the greatest shows we've ever covered. Just off of this. Episode 20, Double Jeopardy. Fallon and Jeff cut their honeymoon. Go ahead. Go ahead, Greg. Is Alex Trebek going to make an appearance? No. <laughs> oh, well, that's a shame. They should have gotten Alex to cameo in this. I know. Fallon and Jeff cut off their honeymoon to help Miles. Sable tells Zach she's getting back together with Jason. Sean accuses Bliss of having used him to get at her father. And Monica continues her affair with Neil. Episode 21, A Family Affair. Jeff has been arrested on suspicion of murder. Jason offers the Carrington oil to Zach, who finally explains his hatred for the Colby family. Francesca agrees to marry Jason once he's free, but Sable is determined to remain between them. Episode 22, The Reckoning. Jason, Frankie, and Sable travel to 
Greece to clear Jeff's name. Miles disappears before his hearing in court. Connie debates how to best use the evidence she has against Sable and Zach. Playing Judge Veronica Payne in this episode! I can't believe we haven't talked about this person up until now. The former Mrs. Chuck Woolery, Joanne Flug. That's right, we have never talked about her on this podcast. This is the first time ever we're discussing her. I'm going to tell you right now, the first time I watched Match Game, I was in college. I had a bit of a crush on her. Yes, I I realized the episodes would have been oh, at 30 years old at the time, but come on now. Episode 23. Sable is organizing a surprise anniversary party for herself and Jason in anniversary waltz. Jeff helps Miles prove the evidence against him has been faked. Jason confronts Sable with his knowledge about her and Zack and still convinced Powers is behind the framing of his two boys, goes to Zack's yacht to settle things. Playing Helen Webster, Fran Ryan from future entry The Wizard. Oh, and clarification, we have talked about Joanne Flug in the past. Not the best reference necessarily, but she was on Love Boat, so surely she was one of those names of every person who appeared on Love Boat that we did that one episode. I'll buy that. Episode 24, the season finale. Checkmate. Sable was accidentally shot in a scuffle between Jason and Zack. Sounds like a bad episode of Power Rangers. Fallon believes she's pregnant. Feeling betrayed by Neil, Monica emotionally storms off in her private plane. Jason invites Frankie to the Dominican Republic to divorce Sable. And that is season one. We'll talk more about the show and what ultimately happens to force ABC to cancel the show right after these era-appropriate messages. We'll be right back. Tuesday. My God. You've heard the rumors. I've got a problem. Don't look at me. I wasn't even in town that month. Now, get the facts. I'm all ears. Well, not all ears. On Moonlighting. Then, the outrageous Lionel Richie. I'm just out here living a dream. The provocative Petty White. Yes, I've had a few sleepover dates. The revealing Richard Pryor. No, I don't have no blank blank AIDS. The all-new Barbara Walters special. Tuesday. When you're behind the wheel in LeBaron GTS, it's nice to know GTS excelled in handling in a U.S. Auto Club test. Did 0 to 50 in 5.63 seconds. Triumphed in braking and gave BMW and Mercedes something they never expected. A driving lesson. GTS comes sensibly priced with Chrysler's protection plan. You don't drive LeBaron GTS the way USAC did. But it's nice to know you could. Chrysler, driving to be the best. Tuesday, Tony's oldest enemies in town. The man can't be as bad as you remember. Huh. One time he put a fist right through a plate glass window. Oh, that must have hurt. Yeah, it was my fist. Now it's time for true confessions. You're a priest. Who's the boss? Then... Yeah, what is it? Jack of Diamonds. Thank you very much. The Amazing Mike's at it again. I'm only ten. What's your excuse? Growing pains. Tuesday. 
"'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring except Fievel the mouse. Presenting Fievel, the adorable star of Steven Spielberg's presentation of the Don Bluth film An American Tale. Now collect all four different McDonald's stocking ornaments featuring Fievel. Each one comes free when you buy the perfect stocking stuffer. A $5 book of McDonald's gift certificates. This holiday season, give a terrific surprise. Free Fievel stockings with our gift certificates inside. Why ski lift tickets could be costing more this year, that story tonight. Welcome back from commercials, everybody. Now we're going into season two. And if you thought season one of the Colby's was something else, child, you ain't seen nothing yet. Somebody at the writer's room was storing a lot of cocaine when they came up with the storylines for season two. Oh, it gets weird quickly. So Jason has been arrested. The episode name, by the way, is The Gathering Storm, episode one of season two. Jason has been arrested for an attempt to commit murder. Everybody likes to murder on this show. See, on Dynasty, all they do is fight. People die on this show. Look. Once every couple weeks, you'd get a Joan Collins, Linda Evans cat fight, and that would get everyone excited. But no, everyone wants to murder each other. Yes, Jason has been arrested for an attempt to commit murder. Monica is rescued after crashing her private plane. Miles meets reporter Channing Carter. Fallon is afraid Miles may be the father of her unborn child instead of Jeff. We already went over why. Sable offers herself to Zach if he will testify against Jason for her. And playing Channing Carter is a new entry into the cast, Kim Morgan Green. Kim Morgan Green, known best for Mimi Land, which is sort of a short parody of La La Land. She's been in a lot of parody shorts. Her best known actual movies are as female reporter in Soul Surfer and Housewife number three in Miss Congeniality 2. Housewife number three, is that like a coveted role like stripper number two on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Not nearly as coveted as that, my friend. But yeah, she is new for season two. Episode 26, No Exit. Miles tells reporter Channing he's still obsessed with Randall. Fallon tells Jeff about the baby's confused parentage. Dominique informs Monica she's selling Titania Records. Garrett, after being spurned by Dominique, leaves LA for the Colby's New York offices. Playing Lucas Carter in this episode, a future Hall of Famer if he's not a Hall of Famer already, Kevin McCarthy. Just so we're clear, it's the Kevin McCarthy that we talked about in previous entry, Invitation to Hell. Not the Kevin McCarthy, who's a congressman, who just lost his Speaker of the House gig. And also, let's not forget, Kevin McCarthy played the biggest heel in UHF, or Jay Fletcher. Episode 29, Jason's Choice. Sable has had an emotional breakdown and is prescribed to remain in bed for a week, causing Frankie to move out. Dominique sells Titania Records to Zach Powers, enticing Monica to quit her job. Miles, Monica, and Bliss team up to ask their father 
to allow Sable to remain living in the Colby house. Episode 30, The Matchmaker. Sable plays matchmaker to ensure that Miles gets his share of the family fortune. Zack encourages Sable to take her fight with Jason into the company boardroom, and Monica returns to work at Colby Enterprises. Playing Nikolai Rostov, I believe he is the dancer we talked about earlier, Adrian Paul. Oh, Adrian Paul. Duncan McLeod himself. Still working nowadays, he was in an episode of SWAT on CBS. Episode 29, Something Old, Something New. Miles and Channing have married in Vegas. Monica confronts Zack with her investigation involving the oil spill. Washington agrees to back Jason's IMOS space project, but sends former Senator Cash Cassidy as a liaison. Cash Cassidy, another new entry into this drama, played by James Houghton from Knott's Landing. I believe he would have left Knott's Landing to star in season two of The Colbys. Episode 30, The Gala. Sable throws a grand gala with a performance by the famed Russian dancer Nikolai Rostov. Channing becomes upset when Miles and Sable keep insisting on her having a baby. Cash Cassidy wants to rekindle his relationship with Monica, but she wants nothing to do with him. Episode 31, Bloodlines. Channing tells Miles she can't have children. In reality, she's afraid of dying in childbirth like her mother. Fallon confides in Frankie. Sable insists that Channing would visit a doctor for a second opinion, and by doing so, inadvertently uncovers Fallon's secret. And playing Adrian Cassidy is Shanna Reed. That's right. Gerald McCraney's wife on Major Dad. Episode 32, Deceptions. Jason proposes that Miles adopts a child. Sable disagrees. Jeff admits he's considered an abortion for Fallon. When Miles learns about Fallon's baby, he confronts Jeff on the rainy roof of the Colby Tower. By this point, they've recast LB. He is now played by Brandon Bloom. Episode 33, and Baby Makes Four. Miles is so preoccupied with Fallon's baby that Channing tried to persuade Fallon to go home to Denver. Collier sneaks onto the Colby estate at night to see Bliss. Monica meets the son of Cash and Adrian Cassidy, and is not knowing it's actually her own child from her affair with Cash eight years later. Episode 34. Bid for Freedom. Jeff and Fallon vacation at the Colby Lodge in Lake Arrowhead, only to find Miles and Channing already there. Listen, Sable begged Jason to stop Nikolai from being deported back to Russia. Episode 35, Sanctuary. Kolya decides to defect with the help of Jason, but has to watch his sister be sent back to Russia. Jeff and Miles rush to get Fallon see a doctor, but Channing is working against them. Zack threatens to reveal Scott Cassidy's true parentage, but Monica inadvertently finds out before Cash can tell her the truth. Oh, Um, no. Oh, no, indeed. By the way, playing Anna Rostov, Nikolai's sister, Anna Thompson, who is known as Darla in The Crow, and Crystal in Desperately Seeking Susan. Episode 36, Reaching Out. 
Jason gets worried when Constance on holiday in India withdraws $2 million from her account. Zach tells Sable that Scott Cassidy is her grandchild. Miles realizes his marriage to Channing needs to be stable if he wants to claim Balan's child. Episode 37, Power Blaze. Sable tries to persuade Adrian Cassidy to give up her son, finds a new dancing partner for Nikolai, and attends her first Colby Enterprises board meeting, all of which result in trouble for her family members. Playing Georgina Sinclair on this episode, Nana Visitor from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. She would actually appear in the 2017 CW reboot of Dynasty, making her the first, last, and so far the only cast member to do so. I'm playing Prasad in this episode, somebody we may have talked about once already, Kavi Raz from St. Elsewhere. Episode 38, The Legacy. Jeff and Miles have discovered that Connie and Hutch have perished in a plane crash. Jason is convinced that the mysterious Hoyt Parker has something to do with it. Miles receives Connie's remaining Colby shares, as stated in her will. Sable tries to make Frankie jealous of her and Jason, while Georgina does the same to Bliss concerning herself and Kolya. Playing Hoyt Parker, another legendary actor, Michael Parks. Michael Parks, sadly no longer with us, known as Texas Ranger Earl McGraw in Kill Bill Volume 1 and Kill Bill Volume 2. Episode 39, The Homewrecker. At the Colby Ranch, Jason and Frankie are ambushed by a sniper. Zach gives Sable an engagement ring. Cash decides to leave Adrian, causing Scott to run away from home. And each time Kolya convinces Bliss that there's nothing between him and Gina, the latter provides convincing evidence for an affair. Episode 40, Manhunt. Monica and Cash find Scott at the observatory, but the boy doesn't want anything to do with Monica. Jeff investigates Hoyt Parker to learn more about Connie's death. Kolya begs Sable to fire Gina, and Erskine orders a hitman to disrupt Jason's IMOS conference. John Daner plays the role of Sam Erskine in this episode. He's best known as Henry Luce in The Right Stuff, and the commissioner in the worst sequel, before we talked about this one, Airplane 2, the sequel. That's Chica's opinion, not mine. Let me correct myself. The worst sequel, Mannequin 2 on the move. Okay, that's the correct answer. Episode 41, All Fall Down. Cash Cassidy has taken a bullet meant for Jason and is in critical condition. Channing scolds Fallon after LB leaves his marbles on the Colby staircase. Jeff gets one step closer to finding Quaid Parker after the latter invests $2 million in Colby Enterprises. Episode 42, Guilty Party. Fallon has fallen down the Colby stairs and the baby needs to be taken out with a C-section. Jeff gets one step closer to Hoyt Parker and learns Parker has ties to Zach Powers. Channing and Miles' marriage is saved when LB admits it were his marbles that made Fallon trip. You know who directed this episode, Greg? Who? Roy Campanella II. What? What? Roy Campanella the second. Wait, is this 
the son of Roy Campanella? I would imagine so. He was born in 1948. When was Roy Campanella born? Oh, let me. I didn't think I'd Google search the birth of Roy Campanella, but hold on a second. November 19th, 1921. And Roy Campanella II was born in St. Paul in 1948. And, oh, yep, yep. He is Roy Campanella's son. Oh, my God. Hold on. We got to get Kiesel back. Get Kiesel back she's, here. She's occupied right now. Oh, my God. But here's the thing he has a son. Wait, Roy Campanella II has a son. Roy Campanella II has a son. Is his name Roy Campanella III? His name is Roy Campanella III. Oh, that's even fantastic. Music producer. Mike. I heard. Uh, oh, no. Can you believe we oh, did not? Now, listen. We don't script this show. There are some moments that are scripted, but mostly I'd say like 95% of this is unscripted. We did not plan this. When I said Roy Campanella, I did not expect Roy Campanella's son was going to direct an episode of this. And now this has just become, I got to say this, this is bigger than Mr. Bogus. This is bigger than Scorch in some of the best episodes we've ever done in this podcast. No argument here. By the way, you know what Roy Campanella III, his best-known uh, credit is? Keeping up with the Kardashians. Oh, I was hoping you'd say Roy Campanella IV. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. How many more of the epi- how many episodes do we have left? Okay, we're on episode 19 of season 2, so this would be episode 43. Are we on to the aliens yet? Not yet. Oh, Fallon's baby. Fallon's baby is still fighting for her life, but at the same time, Jeff and Miles await the results of the paternity test. Cash wants to leave Adrian, but little Scott persuades him otherwise. It's too bad this wasn't 30 years later. You could have Maury be a guest star in this <laughs> Okay, so playing a researcher, somebody we talked about on at least two episodes, Mary Cataret. Oh my god, Yes. Didn't think we'd ever talk about her again. No, not after three is a crowd, but now she's back. Episode 44, Answered Prayers. Miles and Sable find it difficult to accept that Jeff is the father of Fallon's baby. Jason and Francesca are about to get married, and Sable still hasn't signed the divorce papers. Uh-oh. 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 <laughs> Liz doesn't want to attend the wedding while Monica and Miles are opposed to Sable's plans. To marry Zach. Episode 21 of season two. So that would be, you know, let's just go with that. Return to engagement. Philip Colby, the long lost brother to Jason and the first husband to Frankie, has resurfaced and postponed the wedding of the latter two. Jeff finds proof that Hoyt Parker is an imposter and Jason recognizes the handwriting as being that of Philip. Miles learns that Channing has been using birth control pills the whole time they have been together. So yeah, Hoyt Parker is actually Philip Colby. Now I don't know what to think, Chico. I don't know what to believe either. My entire world has turned upside down. Episode 46. Devil's Advocate. Jeff insists on signing a third of his Colby shares over to Philip, 
Jason visits Singapore to learn of Hoyt Parker and Philip Colby are the same and enlists the help of another ex-husband of Frankie, Lord Langdon. Scott learns that Monica is his real mother. Oh no. This is getting all sorts of confusing. Yeah, the writers have snorted so much cocaine they can't remember how all the storylines are going on. Playing the role of Maya Kumara, which is met in Singapore, Bianca Jagger, model and daughter of rock royalty. Episode 47, Betrayals. Maya Kumara has identified Philip as Hoyt Parker, but Jeff and Francesca feel that Jason is being unfair to his brother. Adrian plans to move back to Washington, D.C. with Scott. Kolya wants to move to New York City with Bliss as husband and wife. Episode 48, the dead end. Jason catches Frankie and Philip in bed as the two brothers end up fighting each other on the lawn. Francesca leaves to ponder the situation on her own. Philip desperately seeks funds to pay off his debts. Zach and Sable come to the conclusion that their relationship will never work as she still longs for Jason. Aww. And it all comes to a head in episode 49. Crossroads. Jeff has saved his mother from drowning, but when Jason rushes to meet her, Frankie runs off again. Fallon is upset and seeing strange lights in the night sky. Channing tells Miles she's pregnant, but is terrified of suffering from the same fate as her mother. Zach reveals to Sable the identity of the sniper at the Colby Ranch. Sable picks up Scott from school to spend time with her grandson. Philip abducts Frankie and heads for Mexico, and Fallon is taken away by a UFO. And that's the show, everybody. I don't need to go over what the heck happened, but I'm going to do it anyway. When ABC scheduled the show, originally it was scheduled for Friday, but they decided to put it on Thursday instead, and in the 1985-86 season, that's where it aired, Thursday nights at 9 o'clock. It was a replacement for the cancelled previous entry, Lady Blue. I thought Greg had something to say there. But... Oh, yeah, Lady Blue. Yeah, that big piece. Yep. Starring Jamie Rose and her really long, really big Magnum 357. Oh, yeah. But the same thing that happened to Lady Blue happened to the Colbys because it was up against Simon and Simon on CBS, at least for the beginning of the show, and Cheers and Night Court on NBC. Yeah, you're not going to beat Cheers or Night Court. According to TVRatingsGuide.com, there were 82 regular shows on television during 1985 and 1986. The Colbys did do better than Lady Blue. It did a lot better than Lady Blue. It was actually 34th. It was tied for 34th with Give Me a Break on NBC and the Sunday Night Movie on ABC. So as crazy as that ended up being, 
they decided to give the show another season. They did not move it from its Thursday nights at 9 slot. So it would be facing Cheers and Night Court again. And then it would be facing Knots Landing. It did not fare any better. It could not beat Knots Landing and it could not beat NBC's 1-2. But perhaps the bigger problem, and this is perhaps one of the sticking points that you know comes with a show that involves Barbara Stanwyck, Charlton Heston, and a whole lot of other Hollywood bigs. Each episode costs approximately $1 million to make, making this show one of the most expensive TV series of the 1980s. And that's a million dollars in mid-80s money. Imagine what would happen if they actually got who they really wanted Burt Lancaster for Jason Colby, Catherine Hepburn for Constance Colby, and Faye Dunaway for Sable Colby. Well, you know what? If this was today and you put it on Netflix or Prime Video or whatever, I bet you could get those three. But you know who else they were looking at for uh, Sable Colby? Susanna York and Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg would return to television, obviously, in uh, later seasons of Game of Thrones. I mean, we all remember that epic scene she had. I want you to find whoever and tell them it was me. Look, I'm just waiting for season two of House of the Dragon only for Matt Smith. And that's it. So, yeah, the writing was, for lack of a better phrase... Nuts all over the place. And when they called the show Dynasty 2, the producers knew, okay, we're not even making a secret of we're trying to take our best program on the network and basically make a clone of it. It didn't come up with anything new or fresh, and it was way too pricey to produce a season three So ABC decided after two seasons to let it go on that cliffhanger. But there was a little bit of resolution, shall we say, from Truth by Consensus Wikipedia. Jeff and Fallon were immediately reintroduced into Dynasty during that series' eighth season premiere, The Siege Part 1, in order for her to recover from her alien abduction experience, though Jeff disbelieves her. Sable, now divorced from Jason, who is still involved with Frankie, who survived the car crash, and Monica, who no longer had contact with her ex-lover Cash or their son Scott, reappeared on Dynasty for the series' ninth and final season in 1988 and 1989. Also, it's revealed that Monica and her twin Miles might not have been Jason's children, as Sable had been essayed around the time they were conceived. Miles, who refers to Jeff as his half-brother, leading to the assumption that Jason was his and Monica's father after all, later appears in the 1991 miniseries Dynasty The Reunion, reunited with Balin and participates in Jeff's rescue from the Consortium. 
The Jeff Fallon Miles love triangle is finally resolved as Fallon leaves Miles for Jeff once again and is loosely implied that Miles becomes involved with Sammy Joe, played by Heather Locklear. The Colbys was released on DVD thanks to our friends at Shout Factory. You can buy them wherever DVDs can be sold. However, the show is not available for streaming, not even in the usual spot. So if you want to watch the Colbys, you have to find the box set. So what can we say? The Shapiros and Aaron Spelling tried to clone Dynasty, hoping they would find the next Dynasty. Unfortunately, all they did was find another thing on TV. So guys, what can I say except... It's time for this week in Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour history. Oh, Mike. That was a beautiful segue. You're welcome. Hit the music. It's time for this week in Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour history. This week, there wasn't much going on in terms of gameplay. This week, the focus is on celebrities. We're talking about week six, the first full week of December of 1983. We have Fred Grandy, Martha Smith, our favorite McLean Stevenson for the first time, Edie McClurg, another one of our favorites, Michael Winslow, Charlie Siebert, Karen Witter, and... Saying this, Mr. Black, you know, the original Mr. Black, big chin one. So, yeah, there's nothing in terms of gameplay that was like fascinating this week. Just uh, some premieres of some big celebrities McLean, Michael Winslow, Mr. Black. Guys, I have another declaration. Greg, oh. I want to play my money in the bank. Oh my god. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike is cashing in his money in the Yeah, you get how this works. All right, Mike. What is it you picked? I'm ready for this. Okay, just for a little background for any new listeners or any listeners that don't know, my birthday will be coming up in about three months, and I have decided what show I want to cover for that episode. And as Greg and Chico can see, I'm actually holding the DVD of it right here. They can't see what the title is. I'm, I'm holding it on the side, so it just looks like an empty uh, case. It looks like a Nintendo Switch game. Yes, I'm covering a Nintendo <laughs> Switch game. We're going to be talking about Super Mario Wonder in March. No. What I have here, this is a series from uh, 1988, 13 episodes, and really, I think the best way of describing it is it's a cartoon, but what happens when you take a segment from a late night TV show from about uh, seven years earlier, six years earlier, and turn it into a Saturday morning cartoon? You get the completely mental misadventures of Ed Grimley. Yes! 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 
Let's I go! I, I seriously did not expect Chico to be so excited about this. So, yes, I have in my hands, as Chico and Greg can see, the DVD uh, set for the uh, Completely Mental Misadventures of Ed Grimley. We'll see how this translated because, I'm sorry, a Saturday morning cartoon show with a late night TV character from like five, six years earlier? Does it make the translation? Was this meant for college kids or even adults? Who knows? We'll see in uh, three months from now. So there you go. There's my money in the bank. You know what makes me have an urge? Get a portrait of Pat Sajak on my wall. Well, that would be just a fine, I must say. Episode 434, submission number 2530, The New Liars Club. The New Liars Club aired in syndication from September 1st of 1988, at least in Canada, through the 1988-89 season for a total of 130 episodes. That is an entire 16 crock blocks plus an additional two episodes. And we know what a crock block is. Oh, you don't? It's the number of aired episodes of Uncle Croc's Block. Schooled, J.J. Starbuck, uh, the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, Tiger King, Schooled. You already uh, said Schooled. Whatever. People know what a crock lock is. They've heard it enough. And Greg, you mentioned to us, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, but one of the football commentators, they accidentally said instead of Chop block, they said crock block. Yes, this was during a Pac-12 game last week on the Pac-12 network. That's right, folks. I use Sling TV to watch the Pac-12 network and all the fine programming they have, which is mostly nothing other than live games. This is going to be an illegal crock block or crack block block on the safety. No wonder the conference is going to hell. And by the way, we're recording this the night of the Pac-12 championship game. Wait till next year when the Pac-12 championship game is Washington State and Oregon State. Oh, Wazoo's going to take that Pac-2 championship, baby. Pac-2. <laughs> hey, theme music. Oh, we're doing this live, baby. Oh, we're going to do this live. Oh, no. Above the hustle and bustle of these city streets, four of the world's greatest fibbers are about to challenge your common sense and intuition at the regular meeting of the all-new Liars Club. Introducing, from Perfect Strangers, Miss Rebecca Arthur. From It's a Living, Mr. Paul Kruppel. From We've Got It Made, Miss Terry Copley. And here's our resident authority on almost nothing at all, Mr. John Barber. And now, to keep this unruly group in order, the president of the new Liars Club, Mr. Eric Boardman. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Welcome to the new Liars Club. As Dinatra said, I am Florence Griffith Joyner. Uh, a lie, a lie. And I'm going to leave all the lying to our professional prevaricators here tonight.
It should be noted the video that Greg just played gives the air date of the premiere. This may be the U.S. premiere date as September 19th of 1988, but it did run for 130 episodes. We'll get into the episodes and some other stuff later on, but I know Greg has stuff to say. Okay. The first 15 seconds, I have a lot of questions about just for the 15 seconds of this. Now, first we see a city bus, Mike. I have to wonder, where do you think that city bus is going? Somewhere in Vancouver. Oh, what you're going to go to like the bus is going to go to like the Canucks game or something. It might be going to Victoria for all we know. Who knows? There's plenty of things to do in Vancouver. And then we see a Rolls Royce. And I think Greg had the question, where in Vancouver in 1988 could you get a Rolls Royce? Yeah. It's like, how many Rolls Royces have you ever seen in Vancouver? And also, just what are the odds that when this was recorded, oh my gosh, there's a Rolls Royce. We need to record this. And then we cut to this office building, which might as well be like some office building off the highway. And on one episode, you had John Barber complaining about the working conditions, generally how they recorded six episodes a day. But also, you see this tower, this building, however many stories that is, 10, 12 stories. And John Barber says they actually record the show in the basement so why are they showing us the top of a building? I mean, if it's like SNL or something in 30 Rock where it's legit, you know, however many floors up, 20, 30 floors up, I get that. But John Barber just said, hey, we record in the basement at CKVU or whatever station this is in Vancouver. Well, let's be fair, Mike. He might be lying. Oh, it is the new Liars Club. Good point. Now, this is a regular meeting of the all-new Liars Club. Now, Mike, this implies that there was a previous Liars Club. Yes, there was, Greg. Back in the 70s, there was uh, a version of the Liars Club hosted both by Bill Armstrong, who happened to be the announcer in that open, but also Alan Ludden was a host for a while. And before that, the original Liars Club aired in the late 60s, and the host was Rod Serling. Oh, that's fantastic. The host of the Twilight Zone himself. I think he may have even created the show. Oh, that's awesome. He did it all, Rod Serling. He did the Twilight Zone. He did Night Gallery. And he did this. He had a lot of irons in the fire in the late 60s and early 70s. Absolutely. Oh, and by the way, we were talking about where could you get a Rolls Royce in Vancouver? Well, you can get it at Rolls-Royce Motor Cars in Vancouver. Oh, boy. 1809 West 5th Avenue, Vancouver, B.C., V6J1P5. Now, hold on, Mike. This is not going to be the last time we're ever going to talk about something from Vancouver on a show that we're going to cover on this podcast. Well, we did. We talked about the Doctor Who episode that was found at CKVU just last month. That's right, but hold on a second. Because I'd be remiss to not mention, since Chico's not here for this episode, that season one of 15 was taped in Vancouver. And we are going to talk about that in the near future. Oh, and by the way, I'm just taking a look at the price of some of the Rolls Royces here. 
if you'd like a Rolls Royce Ghost for uh, 2023, Greg, it's going to cost you 623335 Canadian. How much is that in American dollars? Great question. I'm guessing it's probably going to be somewhere in like the 450 to 500,000 range. Oh, yeah, because the Canadian dollar is not worth much. 623,335 Canadian dollars as of the time of recording is equivalent to $461,790.40 American. So, yeah, if you got half a million American burning in your pocket, you can go to Vancouver and get yourself a 2023 Rolls Royce. Just a little bit better looking than the 1988 Rolls Royce we saw in the open for the New Liars Club. So there you go. They probably got that Rolls Royce from that dealership. Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. I think the cost of living in Vancouver is like really high. So you got to have rich people living there. Because I think the cost of living is sort of like on par with uh, Seattle. Not cheap. But we're not here to talk about Rolls Royces or how much they'll cost in American or Canadian dollars. We're here to talk about the new Liars Club. Was there anything else you want to mention about the Open? No. Okay. The new Liars Club was played just like the old Liars Club. We're talking about the later version with Bill Armstrong and Alan Ludden hosting, where you're shown a weird object or invention for the first three rounds, and sometimes in the final round as well. And each of the celebrities, the four celebrities that are on the panel, they give a description about this item. And the idea is to determine, obviously, which one's telling the truth. And it should be noted that the fourth round is generally a piece of art, but sometimes another odd item. In round one, the payoff is a one-to-one ratio. In round two, it goes up to -to two-to-one, so you get double your wager back if you're right. In round three, it goes to -to five-to-one, and round four, it goes to -to ten-to-one. Again, just like the syndicated version of Liars Club, same odds, same everything. A little bit of changes along the line elsewhere. We'll get to that in a few minutes. You're staked with 100 points, not dollars, points. And whoever has the most points after four rounds, they win a prize. Mind you, it's Canada. The prizes are not that great. Stuff like sportswear. Stuff like appliances, dishwashers, trash compactors, refrigerators. Even later in the run, they gave away motorhome vacations so it's not a vacation to a faraway destination they did give away trips to las vegas and stuff like that but they give you a vacation in a motorhome or a vacation on a houseboat not really expensive prizes and then on top of that if you happen to get all four items right you won a bonus prize on top of any other prize you may win And that did happen a number of times on the show from what I've seen. I think it's happened in the shows that I've seen twice. So again, not really a big bank buster of a TV show. Some of the intricacies about this show, and I don't know if this is just like a lack of vision from the producers or what have you, but I said that you wager your points in every round. One rule I didn't tell you is you couldn't wager more than half your points. So that left you with a guaranteed 20 points for the final round. If you bet the maximum for every round in round one, round two, and round three, hypothetically, you're left with 20 points. So you could still make a comeback. 
But one thing that I noticed, they say you can bet up to 100 points. And mind you, these are in 10-point increments. They had cards that, that you put into the uh, slots of the little displays in front of uh, each of the contestants to identify your wager. The problem is they didn't have a card for 100 points. The highest it went was 90, but they never treated it like there was a 100-point wager. You could only bet up to a maximum of 90, even though the show said you could bet up to 100 points. That just seems lazy. And even further, the readout of the scores had three digits. So if you scored more than 999 points, they couldn't put your score on the scoreboard. And that happened plenty of times. And there were episodes where two or three contestants earned over a thousand points. So what did they do? The third place contestant, their score was 990. The second place contestant, their score was 998. And the winner was given 999. How could you not be prepared with a four-digit readout? That's lazy. That's cheap. That's unprepared. Besides that, I thought this is a great show. I, I really love this show. And anybody who's listened to this podcast for any length of time knows this was my routine between like August and October getting ready for work. And then just over time, the schedule for when it aired pushed a little bit later every day, a little bit later. So instead of being able to watch two episodes of Liars Club, I'd be able to see one. And then I'd be able to see like the first 10 minutes. And now it starts like as I'm on the road going to work. But I think the reason that we're here is the celebrities. And Greg is nodding his head. He's the silent partner in this episode. I don't have a list of the celebrities. I can go through a number of them. We've talked about a number of them. You heard in the open to the episode on the premiere week, you had Paul Kreppel from It's a Living, and you had Terry Copley from We Got It Made, podcast favorite around here. You know, we love her. We love We Got It Made. And you had Rebecca Arthur from, again, one of Greg and Chico's favorite shows, Perfect Strangers. But on top of that, you did have a real variety of celebrities, some popular or reasonably popular some not so popular. You had like Beverly Garland, legend. Mark Summers was on for a week. We know all about him. You had uh, James Doohan, Scotty from Star Trek. You had some newer faces who are still pretty big. I want to say Andrew Stevens is on a week. So you had, let's say, C-level celebrities, maybe low B-level celebrities. And you also had like your... I don't want to say bottom of the barrel with all due respect, because they've had more success in showbiz than I've had, but you have like your D minus and F level celebrities, people who were actors and actresses on soap operas. And you look at their Wikipedia pages. They haven't done a single thing in the last 15, 20, 25 years. One of those people, and we've talked about this is from Frank's place, which we're going to cover next year. There was a gentleman by the name of Don Yeso, and we've played it, and we're going to play it again because I know Greg loves it, and I think it's hilarious. John Barber introduces Don Yeso as his son, John Barber's son's favorite character on John Barber's son's favorite TV show in 1988. 
and the character name he gives is Shoddy LaRue. But the character's name is actually Shorty LaRue. And he didn't do this just once. I've seen multiple episodes from this week. Every single episode that week, he called him Shoddy LaRue. And never once did Don Yeso go to John Barber and say, hey, my character's name is Shorty LaRue, not Shoddy LaRue. My son's favorite character from my son's favorite show, he plays Shotty LaRue, and Frank's plays Don Yeso. I can't even just, like, question how John Barber messed up his kid's favorite character on his kid's favorite TV show in 1988. Greg, say something. Hold on. How do we know it was his son's favorite show? He could have been lying about that, too. Is that going to be a running theme? Just everything could be a lie that we're talking about. Everything everyone says on this show could be a lie. Oh my gosh. Greg's not wrong. It, it's very possible. They might be such good liars that you know, maybe John Barber's lying about his own flesh and blood enjoying certain TV shows and certain characters. And obviously John Barber's lying about ever watching it with his son because he knows his character's name is not Shadi LaRue. Oh, we should also add that uh, John Barber was a celebrity on every episode. The reason for that is CanCon, Canadian content. John Barber is of Canadian descent, and you do need some representation from Canada on shows like The New Liars Club. You saw that on stuff like Chain Reaction, where you had Rod Chalabois, the announcer who played that end puzzle game that they give at-home viewers for funsies. So sort of like that. So he fit the Canadian content to make uh, the Canadian government happy. Greg, did you want to add something? Oh, no, no. I just I was like, like, yeah, I love those segments from the okay. change reactions. I don't know if this is budgetary. I don't know what the circumstances behind this might be, but you had three changing celebrities every week, along with John Barber, for the first 13 weeks of shows. So 65 episodes, 13 weeks. You had 13 sets of three new celebrities rotating with John Barber. But then starting with the 14th week, maybe it's because the ratings weren't so good. Maybe they wanted some stability. Maybe it's a cost-saving measure. They went with three celebrities. Two of them are beloved around here. The first one is Shannon Tweed. I don't even think we need to talk about Shannon Tweed, but if you'd like a little bit of Shannon Tweed talk, she was on a very early week of Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. We mentioned she was a Playboy Playmate of the Year. She's been married to Gene Simmons for seemingly ever. And actually, through the course of the new Liars Club, Shannon Tweed was pregnant with her first son, who happens to be uh, Gene Simmons' kid. Wow. And actually, on one later episode, you see her holding the newborn. I mean, he's now 35 years old or so, but you see her holding it. And I'm guessing this is sort of to avoid the paparazzi TMZ effect. I know TMZ wasn't around in 1988-89. But the thing is, she always referred to her boyfriend as Andy. Didn't say Gene Simmons. It was always Andy. I don't know if that's some sort of inside joke. But Gene Simmons' name was never mentioned. Maybe because they weren't married at that time and having a kid out of wedlock was sort of verboten back then. I don't know. But it fits because 
It's the new Liars Club. So there, another lie. Oh my god! Everything on this show's a lie. The second of the regular celebrities joining Shannon Tweed and God, I'm gonna laugh. He's not gonna finish this, folks. No, no, I'm gonna get through this. I'm gonna get through this. The second celebrity that was on the panel with John Barber and Shannon Tweed, again, beloved favorite around these parts, Jimmy Walker. And we know why Jimmy Walker did this. Because he needed the money. Money. There you go. And Jimmy Walker, (sighs) he's always been sort of a ham. Let's say that. Watching him, he's like really gathered the attention he sort of made a spectacle of himself stood up a lot and anytime that there was an object that was colored black so just for example i've got a little loop here a, a jeweler's loop he'd say that item was a black thing and the third person this might be a little unconventional casting the last person on the panel with the previous three people is a gentleman by the name of pete barbuti he was promoted as one of Johnny Carson's favorite entertainers, musician, comedian. And this is the first time we're going to talk about Pete Barbuti, but believe it or not, we're going to talk about him next month. Greg has a shocked look on his face. He obviously doesn't know where we're going to talk about him. We talked about the celebrities. We haven't even talked about the host. The host is a gentleman by the name of Eric Borden. He is not necessarily a known name, at least beyond hosting the new Liars Club, but he is an alumnus of Second City, and he was a writer and performer on Future Entry, and actually we're going to cover this next month in January, the Tim Conway Show. And I got stuff to say about the Tim Conway Show. Because I thought it was a good show. You could still see it. We're not here to talk about the Tim Conway show, but we'll cover that next month. Your announcers, as we talked about earlier, one of them was Bill Armstrong, who was one of the hosts of uh, the Liars Club back in the 70s. And he announced on a number of shows. He announced on Celebrity Sweepstakes and Stumpers, previous entry. And he was the announcer on Possible Future Entry. The Real to Real Picture Show. I think we've got to include not just the Real to Real Picture Show. We got to cover PAX one day. I know it's still around as Ion, but PAX, oh, it went downhill like immediately. But then again, at the 65 episode mark, maybe a money issue. Bill Armstrong is out the door and they bring in an announcer by the name of Ted Friend. Hold on a second, Mike. That sounds like a made-up name, Ted Friend. No, Ted Friend's his real name. He's got an IMDb and everything. Ted Friend was born in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada in July of 1949. He continued to reside on Vancouver Island, even after leaving the University of Victoria, choosing CFAX Radio as the starting point of his career in broadcasting. Hold on. How do we not know that IMDb page is a lie? Maybe that's what we need to do this episode is spot the truth teller. Maybe this entire episode's a lie. Maybe there's like one hidden truth in this entire episode and it's your job to figure it out. Now you see, I don't want to go through his IMDb because how many of these are lies then? You're making me suspicious. 
Among the parts that Ted Friend played, he was a TV anchor on an episode of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show. He was a local field reporter in the movie Freddy Got Fingered. Oh, that's terrific. Freddy Got Fingered. The Tom Green magnum opus Freddy Got Fingered. I never thought I'd hear the words Tom Green and magnum opus ever used. Oh, Mike, it is a glorious movie. Freddy Got Fingered. I can't believe we're talking about Freddy Got Fingered. you damn right we're going to talk about Tom Green. No, I'm talking about Freddy Got Fingered. I didn't say Tom Green. Tom oh. Green, we can talk about, but I just can't believe we mentioned Freddy Got Fingered. He played an announcer for Portland in Slapshot 2, Breaking the Ice. Oh, God, Slapshot 2. Now, that's the opposite of Freddy Got Fingered. Moving on real fast. Greg, he was on a segment of Beyond Belief Factor Fiction. What? He was on a segment of Beyond Belief Factor Fiction 2002, a segment called The Weatherman. Oh, The Weatherman. Now I'm curious. I want to see if there's any like really big stars in this or, or moderately big stars. Yeah, like the one time we watched that segment with Beans Morocco and Rip Taylor. And what a segment it was. It was. Sadly, the answer is no. There's no names on here. But getting back to the career of Ted Friend, since I've opened that door, he played an NY1 anchor in Elf. Oh, so he was an Elf. He was an Elf, yeah. And it's the 20th anniversary of Elf this year. And obviously, this is the time of year for Elf. So when you watch reruns on Freeform or whatever stations showing it, Look for Ted Friend as the NY1 anchor. He was also a reporter in Scary Movie 4. Oh, Scary Movie 4. What a career this man has had. Freddy Got Fingered, Elf, and Scary Movie 4. And don't forget Beyond Belief. So needless to say, he's actually had a pretty decent career. The biggest thing may be the new Liars Club, but still, he's had a career that's lasted well over 35 years. Another intricacy, and I'm going to go back to Bill Armstrong with this. Watching, this makes me think that Bill Armstrong was entirely canned. He was not in studio. He did get a credit for like being like an associate producer, something to that vein. Watching the episodes, I get the feeling that Bill Armstrong was not there. Everything was canned, pre-recorded, and they just hit a button. And also, I know he did the announcing of the celebrities in the open at the top of the show. I believe he only did that for the first week because generally until episode 66, until week 14 started, you would have John Barber introduce the guests and he'd give a little brief snippet about their career, what they're promoting, et cetera, et cetera. So I've got the feeling that a lot of what Bill Armstrong did was canned and to fuel those suspicions, after a certain point in the show, I'm going to say 20 episodes in or 15 episodes in, you had Eric Boardman when he says, if you get all four items right, you'll win a bonus prize. And instead of saying, Bill, what prize are they going to win? He throws out stuff like, hey, Marie, what are they going to win? Hey, Angela, what are they going to win? Linda, what are they going to win? He just kept on throwing out random names. Hey, Jean-Claude, what are they going to win? 
And if anybody should get all four rounds correct, uh, Linda, what do they win? Veracron's elegant anniversary style Leicester quartz clock. I am surprised that nobody broke up over that, but also at the same time, you didn't hear Bill Armstrong say, damn it, my name's Bill Armstrong. Therefore, Bill Armstrong must have been canned. Possibly from like week two on to week 13. I don't know if that's brilliant or if that's lazy. He got paid either way. One other thing I want to mention is, and this episode airs semi-frequently on uh, Game TV. We'll get to that in a little bit. Episode 119. I even remember the episode number. That's how like ingrained this is in my head. There was an episode where the four celebrities, John Barber, Shannon Tweed, Jimmy Walker, Pete Barbuti, they played the role of contestants and the celebrities were played by four previous contestants on the new Liars Club. And actually, one of them was on episode 118. So I'm guessing the powers that be, probably uh, the producer, Blair Murdoch, said, hey, we're doing this sort of role reversal. You want to stick around for another episode? You did a real good job. You didn't win, but we found you funny. We want you to be in the John Barber role on this episode. And really, if you can find it, I don't know if it's out on YouTube. You could find it if you're lucky. I know I have it as a privatized link on YouTube. It's a real good episode. It's a real funny episode. And given you have Jimmy Walker, things go a little off the rail. It is a very goofy episode. They definitely were playing for laughs, even though whoever among the celebrities that won they had a card in an envelope with the name of one of the four contestants and that contestant won the day's prize. It is really a very funny episode and uh, highly recommended uh, you search for episode 119 of the new liars club. Now the show itself, you can watch it on game TV if you're in Canada, but if you're not in Canada on the Plex TV app, they have a game TV go channel and they show only a certain number of Canadian shows. And they only show maybe about six, seven different titles. And one of them happens to be the new liars club. And they have basically the same schedule on a daily basis. The new liars club is on twice in the morning, generally between about seven 30 and eight 30 AM Eastern time. And then in the afternoon, they show four episodes, back to back to back to back, generally between like 2 o'clock in the afternoon Eastern time until about 3.30, 4 o'clock Eastern time. So there's an opportunity to watch there. I mean, it doesn't work for everybody, but they have the same schedule seven days a week. So, you know, you could turn it on, on Saturday morning or on Sunday morning or Saturday afternoon, or I'll even admit when the Browns stink, what do I do? I flip on the new Liars Club. There's two hours of the new Liars Club. I'm like a pig rolling around in mud. Even though this year the Browns are actually doing sort of good. Come back to me next week when Joe Flacco starts this week. So that's it. Unless there's any comments uh, Greg has regarding the show, regarding other little intricacies that he noticed while watching the show. Nope. Well, now that that's out of the way, Greg, I think... It's time that you give us a little Russell Westbrook update. Yes, it's been two weeks. So 
Let's get back to see what happened with Russ in the last two weeks. Russell Westbrook, he can sure score triple doubles, but he sure as hell can't think straight when he's trying to make a pass. It's the Russell Westbrook update. When we last left Russ two weeks ago, the Clippers came off a 106-100 win against the Rockets. Well, on November 20th against the Spurs, he scored 10 points in a 124-99 win. And then they played the Spurs again. So the Clippers played the Spurs in San Antonio on Monday the 20th and Wednesday the 22nd. Don't ask why. I have no idea. But the Clippers won that game 109-102. He scored 8 points. On November 24th against New Orleans, they lost 116 to 106. He scored three points in 14 minutes as they lost by 10 points. But the next night against the Mavericks at home on November 25th, he scored 14 points with eight rebounds and seven assists in a 107 to 88 win. And then on the 27th of November against the Nuggets, where they lost by nine. He recorded a double-double. He scored 14 points and 11 rebounds. But Mike, he got into it with a fan. Why did he get into it with a fan? I don't know. This fan's giving him some shit. And this lady ref's holding him back. Hold on a second. Is that the same lady ref that uh, Luka Doncic was saying fouling in love with you? Do you remember that? There aren't many female referees to begin with. It's very possible. And if you know, you know. But yeah, this fan was giving him some shit. And look, you see like the security's out on the court and everything. Yeah, look at him. He's heckling him. That's ridiculous. Steve Ballmer, you should kick him the out of the Staples Center. Jeez. Sorry, I forgot it's now called the Crypto.com Arena. But to be fair, the Clippers are only in there for a little while until they move to their new arena soon. But I have good news, Mike. Against the Kings on November 29th, on a Wednesday, the Clippers won 131-117, to and Russ scored nine points, and he got eight assists. But last night, as we're recording this, against the Warriors, they lost by six, and he scored 14 points and got 11 rebounds. So he got another double-double. So let's see where the Clippers are in the standings right now. As we're recording this. I got him at 11th in the West. Uh, okay, 8 and 10. 8 and 10. Okay, it's still early. Did Russell Westbrook come off the bench for each game? Because remember, last time we talked, he said, I think I'd be better coming off the bench rather than starting. And I think he has come off the bench as of late. Okay, let me look in the last couple of weeks. Uh, 25 minutes, 27 minutes, 14 minutes, 25 minutes, 27 minutes, 19 minutes, and 26 minutes. Those don't sound like starters' minutes. Because starters would play 35, 40 minutes. If he's playing 14 minutes, he's not starting. Unless he's getting injured. Which, obviously, he's not. Well, also, remember, they have James Harden now. Yeah, very true. And we talked about how everybody wants the ball now in uh, Los Angeles. Because you got James Harden, and you've got Kawhi, and you've got Paul George, and you've got Russell. Got to make him happy somehow. 
So maybe that means you need to cut Russell Westbrook's minutes from 30, 35 per game down to, say, 15, 20. Well, now that we've got the Russell Westbrook update out of the way, I think we can officially close the book on the new Liars Club. It was a decent enough show with a decent enough host, really a host that should have gotten opportunities elsewhere. The celebrities, meh. When you're talking about Jimmy Walker and Shannon Tweed and really not a name in Pete Barbuti as your regular celebrities, they're not going to draw a lot of eyes. And even though it didn't last terribly long back in 1988 and 1989, it lives on forever in our hearts and on Plex TV. And for those reasons, the all-new Liars Club, as much as we love it, it's just a thing on TV. And also it's on bonusround.ca. I should have added that because it is on bonusround.ca and... Greg has talked in the past about his subscription and just how amazing it is. Best $2 you'll ever spend. $2 a month. Yeah. That's going to do it for this episode of It Was a Thing on TV. But please remember, you can always go to our website over at itwasathingontv.com where you can listen to the previous 433 episodes that preceded this one. We have all sorts of great stuff there. Minisodes, live shows, extended versions, instant reactions we got it all and remember we're on social media including uh, instagram threads mastodon at it was a thing on tv except for facebook where we are at it was the thing on tv podcast and please remember if you want to follow us on mastodon search for us at it was a thing on tv at tvwatch.party and also remember please subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be streamed at apple podcasts Google Podcasts, however long that's going to be around, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Audible, Spotify. We're just about everywhere. Also, don't forget we are on YouTube where you can like and subscribe to our channel. And please don't forget to hit the notification bell on YouTube to stay informed with all future uploads on the channel, including what's coming up on the podcast next week. Well, next week, we are going to celebrate a centennial. We just did the Frank Reynolds Centennial last week, and Greg, if I may say so myself, that was a great Centennial. You did a great job with that. It was all the magic of editing. Well, not just the power of editing. You picked some quality clips. Oh, the Apollo clips were gold. All the clips were gold. I thought it was great. But next week, we're going to do another Centennial event we're not going to do like we did with like the Larry Bud Melman Centennial or the Frank Reynolds Centennial. We're going to do like what we did for the Norman Lear Centennial, where we take a look at a show that this individual did. You probably know who would have celebrated their 100th birthday next week. And we did have this planned before this person's passing earlier this year. We're going to talk about a show that tried to take advantage of the reality genre of the early 80s you had shows like that's incredible and real people and cbs wanted a little cut of that action so they went to one of their venerable hosts and kind of used one of their venerable shows which had been on the air for many years for about 25 years or so since 1950 
but with a twist with that little reality real people that's incredible twist we'll talk about that but also coming up we have a cinematic release do we want to mention it well let's just say a person from the ocean is going to have a battle and it's going to take place in a lost kingdom. So Greg, are you trying to tell me that this movie that's coming up, it may have some fans and maybe some Momoa. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, but we're going to talk about two shows, one next week regarding that cinematic release. And then one the week after related to the same theme. So you got the centennial coming up next week. You've got the first episode related to this Momoa thing, whatever that could be right here. at it was a thing on TV as always. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. And we'll give you two fresh episodes starting next week. Greg, give us a roar. Wow. Hi there. If you have an unusual item you'd like to share with us, please send us a photograph of the item along with a brief description and a return self-addressed envelope, maybe a phone number in case we have to get a hold of you. You send it here to the New Wires Club, 265 25th Street, West Vancouver, British Columbia. And what's the zip there, George? Read that. What's the zip? Okay, me. I beg you. No, 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 no. It says V7V4H9. No, you don't. You start from the top and read down. You don't start from the bottom and read up. Thanks very much. See you next time, folks. Bye-bye. Ding.